let's look at the scriptures. Uh, Luke chapter 3. We're going to read the, the first six verses. Luke 3, verse 1 to 6. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Asinius, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, or Isaiah that is, the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. We know the Lord will bless that, but keep your Bible open. Let's just pray. Father, we ask you now that you take your word, and Lord, that you would take your word and use it for your glory, that you'd use me for your honor, and Lord, you'd fill my mouth. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would anoint me with fresh oil of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that your Son would be exalted. We thank you that you loved us. And we thank you, Lord, you sent your Son for us, that he gave his life and shed his blood. And we thank you, Lord, you haven't left us alone. For, Father, you have given us of your Holy Spirit. So bless your people and encourage them tonight. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Amen. There are six definites in Luke chapter 3. And there are six definites we want to look at, God willing, tonight. First one is a definite time or a definite date, if you want. A definite article, definite place, definite confirmation, definite fulfillment, and a definite response. Okay? Definite date or time, article, place, confirmation, fulfillment, and a definite response. Now, what we must do is we must allow the Word of God to correct us the same way we want the Word of God to encourage us. So sometimes the Word of God comes in conviction. Sometimes he comes in correction. And also he comes in blessing. So what we want to do is Say, Lord, speak to me wherever I am, whatever condition I'm in tonight, and Lord, teach me. And so I've said that as I've been writing this and looking at it and rehearsing it over with myself. And maybe you'll say that and pray that as well. First of all, a definite date or time. So here we find the Holy Spirit, he, uh, he doesn't give us a vein or, a, if you want, a vague uh, once upon a time story here. The word of God isn't once upon a time, and I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. The start of this narrative of Luke chapter 3 that we have written here, it's God's own inspired word, and God sends his word out for a purpose, but he sends his word out for a definite purpose, even from the very point of creation in Genesis 1 and 1. So here, even in Luke chapter 3, we find there's a definite date or, if you want, a definite time when the Word of God 
came to John in the wilderness. Man's intelligence, man's thinking, man's mind is finite. His understanding tends to romanticize stories and makes uh, uh, epics uh, out of these stories uh, from, their, if you want, their deteriorating uh, grey matter. No matter how, how uh, intelligent we are, as according to man, no matter how uh, schooled we are, we are still finite in our minds and in our, and in our thinking. Let me give you an example. Man turns science into story. They like to call it fact, but it's story. And so man turns science into story, and it's unarticulated and incomprehensible to many people. So what I mean is they get big, big words, and they throw it out there, and they boggle everybody's mind, so we all believe it. We all say, well, it must be true, because such and such is such a genius, then it must be true. The biggest uh, once-upon-a-time story, the biggest example is the Big Bang Theory, as it's known. And we want to look at something like this just for a moment before we get back into uh, the word here. So we're looking at a definite date. Remember that. We're going to show you how man's thinking is completely different than the definite date and time in the Word of God. I, I looked up the astrobiological blog, and this is what it says, and I'm quoting it. Certain types of asteroids were formed at the same time as the Earth. In fact, the Earth was basically formed from asteroids smashing together and accreting into the planet we live on today. Asteroids provide a date close to 4.54 billion years. Thus, today we know that the Earth and other rocks on our solar system that all are now formed out of that, and they were at the same time. So what they're saying is asteroids clash together, and that's where the Earth came from. Yet other scientists say different. Other scientists don't say that at all whatsoever. So we have to understand here that man's mind makes stories. Man's mind tries to figure out what he can't figure out, tries to understand what he doesn't understand, and so he does his best. Sin. I'm not saying in any way that people are being wicked to try and do this, although many of them are. But in the, the idea of this is man's mind's finite. So listen to the universe today. I mean, this is, this is the, uh, the, 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 the works of, of scientists. Listen, it's called the universe today. They write, the earth is 4.5 billion years old. So they're agreeing with our last quote. Coincidentally, this is the same age as the rest of the planets in the solar system, as well as the sun. Of course, it's not a coincidence. The sun and the planets all formed together from a diffused cloud of hydrogen billions of years ago. And I hear scientists arguing with themselves, arguing between themselves and disagreeing on the very creation of the world or how this world on our earth and solar system came into being from universe today. The astrobiological people are saying, no, no, it was asteroids clashing together. So once upon a time, and here it is, you believe it, the end, lovely story, now we can all move on. That's not what the word of God does. The precision, the precision of the inspired word of God leaves no room for man's vain, vain thinking. 
and vain thoughts. Asteroids and hydrogen clash, big bang, or, or gases compressing, big bang, everything appears. It takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe the word of God. But notice here, uh, it, it, there's no room in the word of God for what I think. In other words, in the, uh, what, I, what, what I mean by what I think is my thoughts can't be added to the word of God and my ideas can't be added to the word of God where the word of God is silent. The word of God speaks and that's it. See, our experience can't change the word of God, but rather the word of God must change our experience. Our life experience can't change the word of God, but the word of God must change our life experience. So everything is the precision of the word changes the man, changes the woman, the precision of the word. So here we have the precision of dates and times. And I want to just look at something else for a moment while we're in this point. Psalm 94 and verse 11 says this. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. The Lord knows our thoughts. He knows the if you want the, the, the bankers' thoughts, the elitist thoughts, he knows the, the religious thoughts, he, he knows the, the wicked thoughts, the depraved thoughts, the, he knows it all. And he says, even the thoughts of man who are highfalutin, as we would say, who are these thoughts of man and woman who are, if you want, uh, they're, they're, they're very intelligent. And they're saying all of these quotations that we have done here. He knows them and he says they're vanity. And the word vanity is the word hevel, hevel. And it means it's like wind, vapor. Vanity means emptiness. I mean, to God, this is emptiness. Big bangs and asteroids crashing together. God says it's like emptiness to me. It means nothing to God. And so it means, gives the idea of wind or breath or vapor, something that's empty. I think we understand what vain means. But the word havel, even in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 3, Solomon, the man who received the wisdom of God, he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is what he says. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And the word here for the preacher, it gives the idea of the express bringer forth of the word, the one who's taking it and preaching it. It means an express reporter of what God has said. So Solomon is saying, this is an express report from God. This is the word of God. And it also gives the idea of a collector of sentences. So what he's doing is he's collecting that which God has given him. And he expresses it out. And so when we read the scriptures, we're doing the same. We're expressing the word of God that this is the truth that's forever settled in heaven. It will not return unto him void. It cannot be altered. It cannot be added to. It cannot be taken away. And we can't put our experience into the word to make the word fit our experience. But rather, the word comes into our experience to make us as the word says. So vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Notice here what the preacher is saying is Havel, Havel Amer, Koheleth, Havel, Havel, Havel. 
And that's the vanities. It's multiplied. Hi, God's saying it's vanity. It's vanity. It's vanity. All of this. And the preacher's shown us the futility. And he's shown us the foolishness of a life lived. Of a life of gotten gains in this world. Of a life lived without a thought of God in eternity. That's the, the book of Ecclesiastes. That's it in a nutshell. That's it encapsulated. And so yeah, what, what we're saying is here is the word of God tells us how to live. Tells us how, how the world was made. Tells us how to live. And it tells us how to be saved. And we can't alter from that nor take anything away from that. Nor can we add to it. And even in society today, even in how our world is today, the year 2020, and you know it's time to move on, and we see people trying to, you know, trying to add things to the word to make it seem a little more politically correct, or to make it seem not so uh, hard as people would say. And what they're doing is they're trying to take the precision off the word, and rather they're trying to muffle it, soften it, that the word isn't what the word meant. And so because it isn't what it meant, people might accept it better. But what you find is the people who accept that aren't getting the real word. And then we wonder, are they saved at all then? Are they saved at all? So the foolishness of a life lived without an eternal purpose. And God has saved us for an eternal purpose. And the question throughout this isn't, that is the book of Ecclesiastes. The question throughout it isn't whether God exists or not. That's not the question of the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanity, saith a preacher, all is vanity. No, it's not whether God exists or not. But the idea of the book of Ecclesiastes is, does God matter or not? Does God matter or not? The name of the redemption name, if you want, of God, Yahweh, isn't mentioned once in the book of Ecclesiastes. God, Elohim, as the creator of being, he is mentioned. But God coming in redemption, that name, that name who came as the Lord God to Adam, Father Adam, after the fall, after Adam had sinned in the garden, and followed Israel right through the scripture, and came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Yahweh redemption, redemptive name isn't mentioned once in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in fact, Ecclesiastes mentions uh, uh, everything that is done under the sun, that term under the sun, uh, 29 times. Done under the sun. Now, we're the ones who are under the sun. We're the ones who are living under the sun, living on the earth under the sun. So it's not that does God exist. That's not the question is, does he matter? We have to ask ourselves, does he matter? Does God matter to you? Does God matter in this world, in this age that we're living in, with all that's going on? And look, God knows the minds of the elitists. God knows all that stuff. And they're not fooling him. Because God, God's going to send, the Father's going to send his beloved Son. He's going to send him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we are saved. We're going to rule and reign with him. So that's not the point of this. The point of this is, is where, are, where are people now at this present time? It's not whether what we can gather and what we can gain. It's not whether God exists or not. It's what does God matter to us? Is he our life? Is Christ our life? So the redemptive name Yahweh isn't mentioned in the whole book of Ecclesiastes. But here 
we're shown every conceivable work of man through this book. That is the book of Ecclesiastes. It's vanity. It's vanity. For example, whenever we get to the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're told in verse 1, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Uh, here's, Here's a man who's looking of all the gains and all the labor and all the work and all the riches and everything we accumulate to ourselves, what he could accumulate. Here's a man with wealth beyond measure. I mean, there was golds, golds uh, as, pardon me, the jewels were like stones in the street. Uh, and, uh, and everything was like made of gold. It was like heaven on earth, as it were. As we hear the, uh, uh, in the book of Revelation, the streets of gold, Solomon's kingdom was believed to be like this. And so here's the man who had everything, yet at the end, with his own wisdom and not God's, but sure, he ended up bad. And he's saying, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. In other words, spend life because God matters. Spend life serving Christ. Take time and live for Christ. Whether, whether you're old or not, you can't redeem that, those years in the sense you can't buy them back. But you can start right now and live for Christ, whether it's one day or whether it's another 40 years or whatever. Live for him like he matters. Like he matters. So it's, it shows the, every conceivable work of man. And it shows man's vanity that you cannot take it with you. And it shows the work that we do. God willing, we'll look at it. The work that we do in this life. It's the old saying, um, there's only one life that will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. And that's so true. Because it's in this life, what we do in the name of Christ, for his kingdom, for his glory, and his honor. Building on the foundation that is Christ. That's what matters. And that's what counts. And so it's not, it's man's vanity, you know. Everyone, no matter how rich you are, it's going to be roughly a six, a six foot deep by six foot long hole in the ground for you like me. And if you're a multi-millionaire, multi-billionaire. And so the idea is we can't take it with us. It's vanity, it's breath, it's vapor, you know, it's emptiness. But to have Christ in the life, to have the, the knowledge of Christ in your life, the, the, you know, it's... It's something that's better, as the wee woman said, it's better felt than told. It's better to know it, and to feel it, to experience him in our life and to have him in our heart. Notice here, does God matter? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. This is what it says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Notice verse 14. For God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. For example, 1 Corinthians, if you'd like to turn with me. um, The Apostle Paul takes this. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Chapter 3. Notice what Paul says here in verse 12. Let's go to verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation 
gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hen, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so was by fire. So there's going to be a trying of our work. And here it is, you know, does God matter? Does Christ matter to you? Because it's the foundation to build the service of Christ in the saved life, in the regenerate life, in the redeemed life. If you go with me to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and listen to what the Apostle Paul says here again. 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 9. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For if for we must all appear, notice we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Paul says that we will all as Christians, not the great white throne judgment of unbelievers, but we'll all stand before God to give an account. So it's, does God matter? The whole book of Revelation, vanity of vanities, and it's man's mind. Great names on plaques, buildings named after them, statues put up, you know. All sorts of things that are called after them and, and foundations are built upon them and the such and such foundation and the Bill Gates foundation and the, you know, and the George Soros and all that sort of stuff. You know, and the Rothschilds foundation. Listen, all of that's going to come down because it's not of Christ and it's not whether God exists, but it's whether he matters to us. Whether he matters to us. So Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Notice fear God. When we fear God, it puts us in our right place. It puts us in our right place. Secondly, when we keep his commandments, he puts us on the right path to walk. And when we look and realize it's the whole duty of man, this puts us in a proper position. So here we find that men of great intellect, and look, I'm not against intelligence. I'm not against science, as I said before. I'm not against learning. I love to learn myself. But the idea of this is men and women look for pleasure and also for their own thoughts and purposes to be fulfilled and try to find out that which is from their carnal minds, finite, they can't understand it, they don't know it fully, so they give us all a once upon a time. And they say it's scientific, and they say that they have evidence. Evidence from 4.54 billion years ago. You have evidence. 
were you there? And the idea was, no, you weren't, but he was. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the word was spoken forth. Things came into being. And then let there be light. And there was light. All by the word of God and by the power of his word. So there's a definite dates and times, as it were, for the creation of God's word bringing forth. Okay? The Bible isn't the once upon a time. But there are definite times. Let's look at our reading in Luke chapter 3. And here's what we want to look at. Verses 1 and 2. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Luke 3 and verse 1. Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea. And Herod being tetrarch of Galilee. And his brother Philip being Philip tetrarch of Iturea. And of the region of Trachonitis. And Licinius the tetrarch of Ibelin. Amos and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Now notice, men of government, powers of government, and powers of religion. Powers of government, powers of religion. They're seeing it all over the place, all over the world today. And how one is starting to come with the other. And we're waiting to see, well, what's their next move? What's the next thing they're going to try and do? And it becomes anti-God, anti-Christ. Notice here, we have part of government and part of religion. Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip, Licinius. Powers of government. And then Annas and Caiaphas were the powers of religious leadership. And they were more interested in their power. They were more worried about the Lord Jesus Christ taking their power off them. The people following them, this new religious leader, as they thought. The government were more worried about Jesus because he's going to take their power off them. And so that's why they hated Christ and they still hate Christ tonight. They are still anti-Christ tonight. Notice here, For example, the very definite word of God. It came to John. I went right over the seven leaders that I mentioned there of government and religious leadership. And it came right over them, went right over Jerusalem and the leadership and over Herod and Tiberius and Caesar and all of those. Missed Rome out, missed Jerusalem out, missed the temple out, and it missed uh, the, the Sea of Galilee out where, where, where type, uh, Herod would have been. And it came right down to the wilderness where no one was but one man, John the Baptist. The definite purpose for the word of God. Let's look at that for a moment. For example, in uh, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, there's your definite time. A definite time. The Holy Spirit puts it into the, the heart and pen and mind of Isaiah to place it in there. The year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Hits him right there, and he'll never forget it. The thing about it is when the, when the word of God and the spirit really impacts a life, 
impacts a man and impacts a woman. You know what you find? They'll never forget it. There's too many parrots who like to they like to get the rhetoric out and it sounds good and they prophesy, as some would say, and they say all the right things to make it sound good. They're parrots taken off from other people, taken from what other things said, what they've read in a recent book. But see when the Lord really speaks in a word of prophecy and when it's a preacher is getting the, the sentences together to give the word to the people, God speaks. Things happen. And things change. People remember it and they hold on to that. Now notice this. Isaiah, he has it right away. And Jeremiah as well. Let's just turn, let me just turn to it, just for a wee verse. Jeremiah chapter one as well. Jeremiah chapter one. Okay. Verse one the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Ananoth. In the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king in Judah, on the thirteenth year of his reign. Notice this Jeremiah is saying, The word came at this king was on the throne, but not only was he on the throne, I remember the very year of his reign when he was on. That's the impact of the word. That's the impact of the spirit and the word. You know, verse 3, And it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Joash, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. That's when Nebuchadnezzar started carrying away the house of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. That's when he start, they started carrying away. And here's Jeremiah saying, I remember the word came to me here, and the word came to me here, and the word came to me here. And that's why he's saying, in other words, it was an impacting. It had a definite time, a definite date, a definite purpose. I hear people on, uh, look, I'm, I'm a Pentecostal. I believe in the prophetic gifts and all that, so don't get me wrong. But I hear sometimes people on, and they're given on, on programs or whatever, and I don't watch them much, but they're given out words of prophetic knowledge. And I'd sit back and think, Nonsense. There's nothing in it. And they give their latest vision. One, one, one time spoke about uh, on a stage that I see the people and, and I see a big grey elephant with a long, tr- long trunk waving at it and started detailing this elephant and then tried to parabolic it into the people. I turned over. I turned it over. Notice here, when a word is given, people know it. People know it. We find here that it's definiteness for a purpose. Ezekiel finds it. You can read it later. We haven't time to look at Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 1. Ezekiel finds it happens to him. He gives us time and dates. It's a definite. And what happens here? The word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. In the wilderness. Definite time, definite date, definite article. So we have here, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, while you're in the book of Luke, let's turn to this. Because this is important too. Luke chapter 1 verse 13. But the angels of the Lord said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. 
And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Notice, so here John is going to be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. If you just let your eye run down to verse 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. His mum's filled. John's filled. And now the baby's leaping. Talk about it. They're aborting these little ones. These little babies in the womb. They're talking about now up to birth, where they can bring them out and slaughter them as they're being born. And here's a little baby in the womb, uh, leaping for joy at the sound of, of Mary, uh, speaking about the, the, the Messiah that is to come. And it's not strange that he is the one who's to be the forerunner, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. He's leaping. And he's six months or so ahead of, of the Lord Jesus Christ in Mary's womb, these two ladies. And he's way leaping already, the Holy Ghost in him. Holy Ghost leaping. And what you find is the Holy Spirit of God always, always, always elevates, exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his chief office. The chief office of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as well, I am a man of the Spirit. I love the things of the Spirit. But sometimes it's all, we're people of the Spirit, and that's fine. But it's all the time, and there's no Jesus in sight then I wonder if they are, because I can't stop talking about Jesus, preaching Jesus, loving Jesus, following Jesus, serving Jesus, speaking about him everywhere you go. If you're someone, a man or a woman of the Spirit, that's what you do. John the Baptist had the Spirit of God. He was baptized with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. So that's a definite place for the word, isn't it? That was a prophetic word. Here's something I want to let you know about this. You, per, you are, you personally, you are a definite article as well. You are. First Corinthians chapter 26. We looked at it last week. How God chooses the foolish things and the base things of the word. God chooses. God chooses. To confound the things which are mighty and wise and so on. And read it first, first uh, Corinthians 1 verses 26 to 31. Or just read the whole chapter and you'll find that. But turn with me to, I'm just doing this for time's sake. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians please. And I want you to, I want, if you can understand this. I want you to get this into you that you'll be encouraged. That you'll be able to say when your times when you're low or you're weak or you're down. Or whatever way things come upon you, that you'll be encouraged. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, just for a few verses. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory 
of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Notice, according, verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Or he made us accepted in Christ. He made us accepted. Not I accepted him, he accepted me. He made me acceptable by the shedding of his blood. He made me acceptable through the regeneration of the spirit, the the repentance of sin, faith to believe, and he made me acceptable in Christ. So notice here, you are the same. You are, secondly, you're the definite article. You're the one whom God has sent his son for. If you want, you can turn with me to chapter 2. Verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the power, prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's who we used to be. That's who I was. That's who you were, fulfilling all our own fleshly desires and minds. And with that, thinking like everybody else. And here God's, the Lord says, he quickened you. He quickened you. And that means, the word quickened is zopoio. It means he reanimated you. Reanimated you. And the idea is where Adam was animated, he was alive unto God before he sinned and fell and eventually we died through Adam. We took Adam's, in fact, here we are by nature, it's the word fusus, the words we are of Adam's genes, Adam's germs and his lineal descent. So Adam fell, we fell, Adam died, we died. And so in Christ we'll all, we will all be made alive. Um, the thing is, that the, the, the word quicken is zapoyo, it means to reanimate. It's like you have that, the, the, wee, the wee stick man and you draw him, then you draw him again, you draw him again with a wee bit of movement and you flick it all together. It's animation. He walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. That died. That was separated and it came down onto us. And now in Christ, he's reanimated us that we're a living temple and we walk with God. It's not just in these four walls or wherever you, you worship. Here it's, it's we are the, the redeemed of the Lord, the blood washed, the blood bought, the spirit filled. We walk with the Lord and we are reanimated again to walk with him. For it says in verse four, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ. Now, so notice here, you're God's definite article. You are. You are God's definite article. In other words, the word of God came to John. So it was a time and a place. John was the definite article. It came to John. So you are the same. The word of God came to you. The word of God came through the spirit, through someone preaching or witnessing or testifying or you're reading or whatever, but you're the definite article. Thirdly and quickly, 
the definite place was the wilderness. The word of God came to John in the wilderness. Here's what I want to tell you. God seeks the sinner. It's not the sinner seeking God because Ephesians 2, a new hath he quickened, reanimated, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So the definite place is the wilderness and it was God who sought out John over all of those men. You think they would have went to the temple? or No, no. God had disregarded the whole lot and sought out John. God finds. He seeks and he saves. Wonderful thing is there's a Puritan called Alnathan Parr. Listen to what he says. This doctrine affords comfort. Thy unworthiness may dismay thee. But remember that in thy election depends not upon thy worthiness, but upon the will of God. Upon the will. It's not my unworthiness. It's upon his will. I was God's definite article. Don't ask me why. I don't know. Because if it was up to me, well, I was guilty. And I should have been judged guilty and eternally damned. Notice this. God finds sinners. He seeks and he saves. He comes to where we are. The word of God came to John in the wilderness. Comes to where we are. God also finds his children in their own particular and desolate places. Maybe you're in a dry place. Maybe you're in a barren place. Maybe you're feeling that at this point in time, there's not much going for me here. Or I feel a little weak or down or low. Or maybe you're feeling just that you can't go on much more. Maybe you're feeling bereft of the Lord, where you had a joy of the Lord. Listen, it's not how you feel, it's your faith. Well, my faith is weak, but it's not up to you, it's up to him. It doesn't rest on you but him. Listen, Luke 19 and 10, the Lord Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and save. And in Matthew 15 and 24, he says, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he came, and as the shepherd goes out seeking the sheep, and he came, and then when he bled and died for us, he sent the Spirit into the apostles, and off they went seeking us out. Jesus in them was seeking us out. And so Jesus still sought you out and me out through the preaching of someone else, or whatever that way was. He found Adam hiding in the trees in the garden. He found Abraham among the stargazers of Syria. He found Jacob afraid of Esau, hiding by a brook. He found Joseph in a pit and then a prison. He found Moses in the backside of the desert. He found Gideon threshing wheat by the winepress. He found Elijah afraid in a cave. And Elisha, he found him in a field plowing with the twelfth yoke of oxen. He found Daniel in a land's den, and he found the three Hebrew children in a fiery furnace. He found Jeremiah down a pit. He found David on the run, and he found him in the cave of Adullam. He found him on the run from Saul, and then from Absalom, his son. He found Job sitting in dust and ashes after losing all. He found the apostles fishing, Follow me and I will make them to become fishers of men. One of the tax collector, he found them in prisons. 
when he had ascended and sent the Spirit, he found them in prisons and he released them from their prison houses. He found John on the Isle of Patmos, a prison, barren prison isle, and he found him in Patmos and he gave him the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is it that I'm saying here? I'm saying that all of these findings were life-changing findings. And where you are, you might be feeling, God knows where you are and the finding. Maybe now God's starting to encourage you, to speak to you, to help you, to bless you, to strengthen you, to lift you up, to encourage you to go on. We well, see, that's, that should be life-changing for in this moment in time, God has found you in the wilderness, that definite place. Or wherever you are, spiritually, even physically. Defining moments in life and ministry in God's time. Being God's definite article in God's defining and definite place. You may be in the worst position, but you could be still in the greatest condition. We need to learn it's not what's going on around us, but who lives within us. Not what goes on around us, but who is living within us. It's Christ in us. The place you're at right now is where you can experience the biggest miracle. God's word may bypass many, but you're his definite article. You're in a definite place and there'll be a definite time whenever he will send forth his word. The word of God came to John in the wilderness. Listen, we read about him filled with the spirit. The spirit in him, the promise given to him and the prophetic word over him and now comes forth in power. Imagine that. He's a grown man about 30 years of age. And all of this prophetic word and this uh, uh, filling of the spirit, we don't read of anything happening. And he's in the wilderness. He, he's on his own. And he's in the wilderness. And yet when the word of God comes and he starts to preach the word, the people flock to where he was. That's a preacher's dream. That's a preacher's dream. Moving quickly, fourthly, Luke chapter 3 and verse 4. It says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Make his paths straight. As it is written. So what we look for is Confirmation. The Lord will confirm his word. It could be someone who knows absolutely nothing and says something and you go, that's the confirmation. A confirmation is a corroborative statement or piece of evidence. That's what it means. The confirmation of John was not in religion. It wasn't in Annas and Cephas. That was all finished. God had done with it. It wasn't an honest and Caiaphas, but it was the Spirit and the Word. And right through the Apostles' sense, you'll read of about an apostle of Jesus Christ. Or you read about the ministry of the Word through the Spirit. I haven't time to go into it. Maybe some other time. The Word of God came to John and the Spirit in him received a confirmation. The Word came to John. The Spirit and the Word. Notice here. The confirmation when the word came 
tells us that all ministry of gifts, spiritual gifts, and Christian living must be solely confirmed by the word of God. Not a once upon a time. Not even a Christian once upon a time. The vanity stories of men's inebriated emotional thoughts are no good. They'll not keep you. When God is in it, things happen. Let me tell you, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and 8, listen to what he says about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He says, And last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. He's talking about those who've seen the resurrected Christ. And last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. And why am I telling you that? Here's why I'm telling you. The term due time here is the word actroma. Actroma. And, and, and I don't mean to be coarse. Um, I want to say this. I, I, I want to say I'm, I'm, I'm aware that this is... Uh, uh, there are people who... Ladies who, who have suffered... So I want to I be careful here, but I have to be true. The one born out of due time, Akhtroma, means like one who was stillborn. That's what they said about Paul. That one who was like a miscarriage. This is what it's used for in the original text. One who was an abortion. It's not terrible. People looked at John's, or pardon me, Paul's ministry, and that's what they said about him. You see, the apostles of the Lamb were those who were with Christ. But Paul was an apostle of the risen Lord. And they, he wasn't acceptable. He was born out of due time. He didn't see him at the resurrection, but he seen the resurrected Lord in, in Acts chapter 9 on the Damascus road. And so they, he was unacceptable to many at the time. And they were saying these coarse and, and hard things about Paul. And listen... Here's, here's what I, I want to say to you. Someone was on the phone with me today and they, they, they were a, a Christian leader, let's put it that way, and, they, and they, they were hurt by what some people had said by their thoughts of things in ministry. Not that they said I thought anything wrong. But listen, I said this to the person today and I've had to say it to myself many times, many times. People think you're this, you're that, you're the other. You're unwanted. You're not wanted here. You're not, your ministry isn't wanted. They talk about you rather than talk to you. And they slander you. And I went talking to him. I said, now listen. You have a calling from God. You have a calling from God. You have a God-given ministry. And this is what I'd written down at the last minute here. One, my salvation does not rely on what some think about me. My salvation does rely on what Christ has done for me. Also, my ministry does not depend upon other, what others say about me. But my ministry depends on what Christ has called me to do and placed within me. I told that to that man today. It helped them to go on. Helped them to go on. In other words, they were saying like Paul, Echthroma, we're like one born at a due time. Whose voice, Christian, are you listening to? 
those outside of the call of God, those outside the naysayers of the voice of God. I'm coming to a close. We then have a definite fulfillment. Luke 1, verses 4 and 5. As it is written, pardon me, Luke chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. As it is written in the book of the words of in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, "The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth." The fulfillment comes from Isaiah chapter forty and verse three, where the Isaiah the prophet said, "There's one coming, a voice in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord." And you can read that, but that's what this was. And this is 750 years until the fulfillment. And you see, we talk about, where's God in this? We talk about, has God here? Is God hearing me? Is God going to answer my prayers? It seems so long. 750 years. John's 30 years of life before the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness, after being filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. What am I saying? And don't you give up and don't you give in. You keep going, you keep trusting, and the word through the spirit of the promise and the prophetic utterance will come to pass. If it's from God, the word will remain sure and it will come to pass. Let us note, let us note, God is never in a hurry. He's never too early and he's never too late. And here you have a definite response. You can read it. I'm finished. Luke 3 verses 7 to 14. You read that and you'll find a definite response. First of all in verse 8. They said we have Abraham to our father. These are the religious leaders. No. Wasn't in the flesh. And they weren't Abraham's seed. Verse 10, the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? See the ministry? He's not, well, we have Abraham. They're going, what are we going to do? John points him to Christ. Verse 12, the publicans came to be baptized, saying, Master, what shall we do? Publicans here were the tax collectors, not owning a bar, as we would know. And then verse 14, the soldier says, what should we do? What are we going to do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Repent of your sin. What does our church need to do? What does churches need to do? What do Christians need to do? What does our nation need to do? It needs to repent. It needs to repent for the way it treated God. It needs to repent for the way we, we were unfaithful to our Savior. It needs to repent for the nonsense and the rubbish uh, and all the things that came in rather than letting the Holy Ghost in. needs to repent. May God bless you tonight. I hope this has been a word of encouragement as well as instruction. God willing, we'll see you on Lord's Day morning. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, take your word. Inscribe it in every heart. And print it into our minds. We pray, Father, that you deal with us severally as you see fit as the definite article where you spoke your word in a definite time a definite purpose lord that you would give us a definite response 
Lord, that we would change ourselves and others would know it. And we would also see the glory of the Lord in our nation again. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. God bless you all.